Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Tomius Letter Podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me this week is Andrew. How are you doing this week, Andrew? I'm not too bad, man. You know, it was surprisingly more fun to watch a team get murdered on national television than I expected, but, you know. I mean, a lot of pleasant surprises in that matchup. We got to find out who we're actually running at quarterback, I I think. Did, did we really, though? I mean, I... <laughs> We're going to talk about it a little more f- farther into the podcast, but I think Oliver, despite the some a few missed passes, through some really bad missed passes, kind of showed himself. I was pretty pleased with his performance. But uh, you tell me. Uh, you'll have to tell me what you're thinking in a couple of questions. Um, Artem isn't here, but he may join us later in the podcast to talk about Texas A&M. But to start off, week one, I mean, we were just happy to have football back. But I think a lot of teams were very happy with their performances. We had some shocking performances and outcomes, uh, especially against some SEC teams, a few against ACC teams. Um, And I think a lot of uh, results that people can be pretty happy with. I'm going to start with you, Andrew, with your winner from week one. Who do you think walked away with a real positive outcome from the first week? Please don't tell me it's Jalen Hurts. I was going to do Jalen Hurts. <laughs> no, it's – in my mind, it's got to be the Georgia State Panthers. As much as I don't care for Georgia State, you know, they know what they did. Going into Neyland Stadium and beating an SEC team is – I mean, that's a huge accomplishment for a program that's, I think, 10 years old, went 2-10 and 10 last year, and has really kind of struggled to – try to establish any kind of winning culture in that program. So it was really fascinating to see them go to such a big place as Neyland Stadium and, you know, a traditional power. Yeah, they've been down for a couple of years, but it's still an SEC school. It's still a school that's recruited pretty well, that's got some talent, you know, and to see a Sunbelt team go in and win, it was like, you know, when it was a UL Monroe beat Alabama in Saban's first year, Troy beating LSU. You. you know, there's been some some fun Sunbelt teams the past couple of years. Knocked down a couple of non-Vanderbilt, non-Arkansas SEC teams. Well, and I think the surprising outcome there was also bends to the fact that how much they were getting paid just to show up to that game. I believe they got $950,000. Is that correct? Something like that, yeah. It's uh, pretty ridiculous. I mean, I understand how happy Georgia State should be in this matchup. I I, I didn't actually get to watch it just because I, frankly, I did not see it coming. Do, I, I got to imagine that this, the fans, this really gives them something to look forward to in the upcoming weeks. Does this have more to do with Georgia State being good, though? Or is this kind of Tennessee getting caught off guard or possibly – uh, struggling with their champion of life uh, trophy. <laughs> I think it's probably more Tennessee being bad. You know, I like guess the Georgia State was two and ten last year, so they really had anywhere to go but up. So they are probably a better team than they were last year. But uh, for all intents and purposes, a team like Tennessee shouldn't be losing. You know, you only have to look at how LSU beat Georgia Southern fifty-five to three, or. Are you even? I mean, Mississippi State struggled with Louisiana, Lafayette, but yeah, it's just one of those where it's probably just more of a, a commentary on how bad Tennessee's become or how unfocused. You know, I mean, just it didn't look like an SEC team when you go back and watch the film. Just, I mean, the speed was there, the execution was there. You know, what you normally would expect to see from an SEC program just didn't show up there on tape. So I don't, I don't know what they got to do to get that square to sort it out. But if they don't, Jeremy Pruitt may just be the next ex-Tennessee coach out there. I, It's crazy to think about. Uh, I want to go into this some more, but we'll wait for the next question. For Before that, I want to give a, I want to give a hype up to uh, Jalen Hurts, who is uh, my winner for week one. I mean, you look at his stats, obviously 20 for 23, 87% completions, 332 yards through the air, three touchdowns, and that's just passing. He had a 251.3 passer rating. And honestly, that's kind of where I want to highlight because 
I didn't really give him credit where it's due for his passing game. I've always viewed him more as kind of a scrambling quarterback who makes things happen with his feet. But clearly he showed in this game that he's got the talent and knows what he's doing and or has developed well enough that he can be that kind of Heisman-level candidate as time goes on. I I was really blown away. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, Houston is not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but he just made them look silly out there. Andrew, do you have anything to add in for, as far as uh, Jalen Hurts' performance? Yeah, he definitely came through for 332 yards. He only had three incompletions, which is pretty fascinating. I also, like I said, I didn't realize he ran for 176 yards and three touchdowns. Good God. <laughs> yeah, I think he fits right into that Lincoln Riley offense of what they're trying to do. You know, you look at what Baker Mayfield did. You look at what Kyler Murray did. It's starting to look like they're they're able to bring in talent that fits what they're trying to do and be successful with it. You know, obviously Houston wasn't a team really known for being strong defensively. So you can't really take too much. You know, you kind of put up what you expected him to put up. Well, I, and to be fair, they're really not going to get challenged defensively until the 12th of October when they play Texas. Because, I mean, South Dakota State, UCLA, Texas Tech, and Kansas, none of those teams are really strong defensively. I don't think anyone in the Big 12 is particularly strong defensively, like you said, other than maybe Texas and Oklahoma. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, I mean, TCU is usually decent, yeah. But uh, like you pointed out, Houston, I don't think they're a bad or a terrible defensive team. They just lost a lot coming off of last year, especially on the run rush, uh, the defensive rush side of the ball. They just lost a lot. But it it definitely, regardless, when you put up those kind of stats, you kind of just got to sit with your mouth agape because that's not what's supposed to happen <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, uh, he's definitely setting himself up to be the Heisman candidate for this year. But we'll see as time moves on. Obviously, we got a lot of big star quarterbacks who have got plenty of time to make it make their cases. So I think that's where we're at with week one winners. Now, moving on, kind of what you hit on with the Tennessee uh, talk. We're talking about the crazy losses from week one. Uh, week one's an interesting situation because college football – for those who watch pro football, doesn't give you a chance to do any preseason games. There's no warm-up matches. There's nothing to really get you up to speed other than training. You're just out on the field, and you've got your one shot to prove yourself. And I think this week kind of shows a detriment to that. A lot of teams that we expected big performances out of uh, just couldn't compete or were outperformed by what some would consider to be lesser teams. Um, even the ones that did end up winning those matches like Cal or West Virginia definitely struggled in the first half to really find their footing. And of course you've got teams like Missouri, uh, Tennessee, Ole Miss who kind of come out the gates losing in some would consider it embarrassing fashions, even though I think, Everyone on our staff called the Ole Miss game being a loss for Ole Miss uh, because Memphis is just a really solid team. But looking at all that, what, Andrew, as a person who's been in the college football field for a while, what can you actually infer from a week one loss? Is is there something to be said for not having that warm-up preseason performance? Or are these teams just kind of not meeting up to expectations off the bat? I mean, I think it's a little bit of a, a little bit of column B. There were a lot of games this weekend that were extremely sloppy, even some one-sided games that were still really, really sloppy games. And I think that's where you see the not having a preseason, as well as, you know, fall camp has changed. You're not hit as much. You're not tackling as much. It's a lot of thud speed. It's a lot of walkthroughs and shorts. It's the same kind of thing you talk about in the NFL is you're not hitting as much outside of game experience. So you're not as used to hitting. You're not as used to, you know, wrapping up and tackling. I bet you the number of missed tackles we saw this week were insane. 
because of that, because you're not used to tackling, you're not used to hitting. And so when you see teams start slow, struggle, a lot of times part of what it is, you kind of saw it even in a game like Duke-Alabama, where Alabama struggled in the first half and then kind of realized, oh, wait a minute, we're Alabama. Or a team like Arkansas that almost lost to Portland State. You know, the Ole Miss loss, the Tennessee loss, the Missouri loss, yeah, those are bad, but that kind of takes away from looking at an Arkansas team that almost lost to an FCS program. And I believe not even like a very good, not like a North Dakota state-level FCS program. Well, I think if you look at it, there were plenty of other teams and conferences that were very disappointing. I'm trying to look up the games right now, but, I mean, across the board, I think everyone other than the Big 12 seemed like they faced some kind of challenge in one way or another. Or even, yeah, even teams like West Virginia kind of struggled against their opponents. Uh, I know Cal was a game that we were keeping our eyes on for a while because uh, that looked like it was going to be an upset. Um, And then some teams giving it up in the second half after coming out and having solid performances. I like the FSU situation where FSU started off really solid and then just kind of lost their control against Boise State. So you're kind of looking at the opposite situation there. Although, I don't know. I thought that was a pretty solid matchup. I don't know what your thoughts were. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty – a more balanced matchup than a lot of people thought. I think some people were somewhat sleeping on Boise State and and giving Florida State a little too much credit in my mind. I think that uh, gone are the days – and you know how – you know, Florida State walks into the stadium and is probably going to win the game. You know, this isn't the mid-90s. Bobby Bowden, Florida State, they've struggled. They've had issues. And like you said, I mean, they came out like a house on fire. Scored 21 points in the first quarter. They were up, you know, 31 to 19 at the half and then just got demolished in the second half. Didn't score any points. Struggled. It was a weird kind of game to me because it was one of those there weren't a lot of turnovers. No, there were five turnovers. So Florida State won the turnover battle. You know, they fumbled twice. I think the craziest one to me was the play where Boise State was running in and fumbled, and the Florida State guy tried to pick it up and couldn't pick it up, and Boise State fell on it and then scored a touchdown and ended up, you know, going on to win the game. You know, a lot of credit goes to Hank Bachmeyer, the true freshman at Boise State, 407 yards. You know, a guy to step in and, you know, a pretty intense place to play in, in Doe Campbell Stadium down in Tallahassee. So, you know, a lot of credit, I think, should go to him. And I think that's one of the things that kind of bothers me is we're talking too much about how State screwed it up and not enough about how Boise State made the place to win the game. It's really kind of fascinating sometimes when you start listening to commentators and you start listening to how games are called and you start, you know, and, and I want to point this out. You know, watching the North Carolina-South Carolina game, it really kind of pissed me off towards the end of the game where North Carolina takes the lead and all the counselors talk about is, well, South Carolina's still got a minute and a half. They could still come back to win this game. And you're like, what? Like, I get that that's part of the story, but you're not giving any credit to the plays that North Carolina made, the two interceptions Wolfhook made defensively. Like, that's what bothers me sometimes is you can really read into these commentators and how biased something is by how the story's told. And again, the Florida State game is a perfect example. Everyone's talking about what happened to Florida State. We're not talking about, you know, Boise State going 10 of 19 on third down, you well, know, throwing for 407 yards. Like, And I guess the impressive thing, to, or I guess the surprising thing from our perspective is we called this a matchup being very close. Everyone knows Boise State's been one of those teams that's been on the outside looking in and is always looking to challenge big-name programs. I don't know why it's a big surprise that a Florida State team that didn't even make a bowl game last year lost to a very solid Boise State team. I mean, no offense to Florida State, but it's Boise State's a solid program. I'm surprised that uh, any – I'm not shocked that they made this – they came up winning this matchup. No, not at all. But, again, it just kind of – and it's the same, you know, it's the same thing with the Tennessee game. It's the same thing when the team people expect to win lose. It, it always becomes more about, well, how do they lose this game, and not so much, you know, giving credit to the team that made the plays to win. Well, and I'm looking down and remembering back on some of these matchups. 
because uh, the U.S. Open kind of took precedent for me last week. But you know, we had San Diego State, who <laughs> ended up winning six to nothing against Weber State. Uh, we had to be fair, Weber's Weber's a pretty decent FCS program. The crazier ones to me is you look at like UConn barely beating. West- who's not a very good FCS program. You have Central Arkansas beating Western Kentucky. Um, I think uh, I'm trying to look. There was another one. It was Iowa State struggled against Northern Iowa. Three overtimes there, yeah. I know that was a good matchup. Uh, Minnesota scored late to beat South Dakota State. Yeah, and South Dakota State's another good program that flies under the radar. Yeah, they're a pretty good uh, FCS program there. I don't know if this one is so much of a surprise, but a couple of games like Purdue-Nevada, and I know it didn't go Oregon State's way, but Oregon State played way closer to Oklahoma State than I was expecting when I look back on the stats. I was like, oh, man, that's that's a way closer game than I remember it being. Uh, yeah, I mean, even even you look at a game like Army and Rice, where Army only won 14-7 to on a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Yeah, no one saw that coming. <laughs> Yeah, and no one saw that game being near that close. You know, you had a fun game in the the Utah State Wake Forest, which was a great game. Uh, you know, a really fun back and forth kind of game. Yeah, I'm kind of sad I missed that matchup because Utah State's really going to go places. I don't think we highlighted them enough in the Mountain West matchup, but they are going to be yeah. a challenger. Yeah, I agree. I think Jordan Love is. I mean, the dude thirty three of forty eight for four hundred sixteen yards and three touchdowns. Like. That's legit. (laughs) And, I mean, I don't know if it speaks more volumes to Wake Forest's tenacity to hang in there or if it's just that uh, the home field advantage finally kind of worked out for them to say that they beat a very good Utah State team in the the process. But that was a hell of a matchup. I mean – Yeah, I mean, it was a great great game by Wake quarterback Jamie Newman. You know, 401 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. That's if, if you really if you you really should and I'm gonna all of our listeners watch Wake Forest. Their offense is a lot of fun to watch, and it may be the fastest, most up tempo offense I've seen. Uh, if I remember our preview show, we're the fourth fastest offense in FBS last year. Like they're incredibly quick in how many plays and how many snaps they get off. It's unbelievable. Well, and I'm looking now. I'm looking. This is kind of a separate topic, but I'm looking at some of the ACC mat- matchups on the ACC network. A lot of surprisingly close matchups. Virginia Tech, Boston College, that Wake Forest game that we were just talking about. Um, I'm trying to look at what else we ha- there was this uh, week. Pitt, Pitt, UVA was a pretty – or I think it was. No, I think, I think Virginia pulled away at the end there, but it was close during the first half. Syracuse Liberty was interesting. That game was interesting for a whole lot of reasons. <laughs> that, that was Hugh Freeze coaching from a hospital bed in the coach's box. Wait, really? What? Yes, so apparently, and, and I, I believe this is the story, is that Hugh Freeze a couple of months ago had back surgery. And, you know, had back surgery in the hospital, got out, and somehow like got a staph infection or something bad. And so he was back in the hospital a couple of weeks ago. And so what they did is they rigged up a hospital bed up in the coach's box. And he could, you know, he gave the team talks through a video. He did his press conference through a video. Like there's a great like clip on Twitter of like Dino Babers pointing at him or like giving him the thumbs up. Cause obviously he can't come and shake his hand after the game. But yeah, Hugh, Hugh Freeze coached that game laying in a hospital bed in the coach's box. <laughs> Much respect to him for pulling off that kind of maneuver. Yeah, uh-huh. even, even Louisville in the first half looked good. Now they turned the ball over a lot and kind of killed themselves against a really good Notre Dame team. But yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of ACC games this year, this week, that kind of taught you a decent amount about some of you, and obviously Clemson's fucking Clemson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you can make a lot about the uh, top team wailing on Georgia Tech, and I think some of the lower-tier teams kind of struggling. But uh, for the most part, I think the ACC looked really good coming out the gate. Uh, SEC, the big teams, did their job. I mean, you can't argue with Auburn beating Oregon and all that. Yeah. Um, But some of the lower-tier teams, again, 
And some of the teams that we expected to be good, like Tennessee, kind of fell flat on their faces. And the Big 12 and the Big 10 kind of snuck away without any real damage. I mean, you got a few losses, but nothing too bad. The Pac-12 was the one that I think is probably the most damaged coming out of week one because their real contender in Oregon kind of got snuffed out. So you've really only got Washington, and then you had a bunch of really struggling teams out there to perform. I mean, I you know, know – you- Go ahead. As I say, Utah, Utah won, but but struggled against a you know mediocre at best BYU team. I I think Arizona State won. Yeah, they did. Um, and maybe that's one that you you know I know really really high on on Herm. So maybe that's a team that you know, especially with JT Daniels tearing his ACL against or for USC, as well as I believe KJ Costello is still out. Stanford. So some of those guys we expected to play big roles look hurt. May not, you know, Daniels is done for the year at USC. I'm not sure really what's come out about Costello. So, yeah, you're right. It may just be Washington. Well, and I'm looking down the list of the rest of the Pac-12, and obviously Arizona struggled in week zero. They lost to Hawaii. I don't know what to make of Stanford because I don't think that Northwestern is a bad team. Let's talk about an ugly game. That was just a bad game all around. <laughs> and both, this, both teams lost quarterbacks in that game. Yeah, see, I I don't know what that's going to mean, especially coming into this week against USC. This is just going to be a nasty set of matchups for Stanford in the coming in the coming weeks. So we'll see what happens. Uh, USC game, I think Stanford's best bet is to win a low-scoring game with their defense, which is pretty much what they did against Northwestern. I mean, can they contain USC, though? I mean, Fresno State can, <sighs> although Fresno State isn't really known for their defense, so I, I don't know. Yeah, but then, like you said, you also have to take into account JT Daniels being hurt, but we can talk about that when we do the preview. Fair enough. Uh, next up, let's go ahead and take some moment. Artem isn't here to talk about Texas A&M. I think they did fine. Um, obviously, they came out and they did the job they were supposed to. Uh, for me, the much more interesting topic is Georgia Tech because when you're going up against the number one team in the nation and you kind of fall flat on your face, I mean, how bad is it really? I saw your article earlier today and read it about the Georgia Tech offense, and that was the part that I found fascinating to me, Andrew, was what you really want to look at and see uh, where we can improve. The defense – Unless I'm, you know, blatantly speaking out my ass, they seem pretty good, to be honest, considering they were going up against the number one team in the nation. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw a lot of good things coming out of the defense. I mean, the where they could improve was probably the pass rush, but that's really – otherwise, they did really good in coverage. They seem to have good blitzing schemes coming out. I mean, what do you think? You're the expert, so tell me what you saw coming out of Georgia Tech week one. I don't know if I want that expert tag, but, yeah, I I agree with you. I think the defense, especially in the back five, six secondary, I think the secondary played very well. Even on the long touchdown pass to T. Higgins, Zamar Walton was in position to make plays. He just got out-bumped by a bigger, older wide receiver. You know, I like to play a Trace Willing at corner. He, he had some pass breakups. He, you know, Trevor Lawrence off. Obviously, you want him to take that to the house. You know, that's that's the one concern I have with him there. I think one of the things is just the guys got tired because they were on the field so much. And we've struggled a couple of years their level. The guys don't fit well. They don't read the play well. I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's scheme, but – you saw some of those struggles a little bit. The the first Clemson touchdown, which um, fascinatingly enough was triple option. Trevor Lawrence read the backside in, backside in crash, so he pulled, and then the overlap defender took the bubble, which that's his pitch read. So and just you know walked into the end zone because it was a great play call for them. He read it perfectly and they scored. But the linebackers, you could see, bit so hard and were so out of position that there was no chance for them to get back and make a play. And that's somewhere we've struggled. You know, pass rush, a lot of passes just having, 
you know, straight dude on the defensive line, and we've struggled there recruiting. We're a little undersized, especially a guy like Henderson, who's just not a defensive end. I mean, he's maybe 220 soaking wet. Uh, I did like what I saw from freshman Chico Bennett. I think he made some plays, and, and he'll probably see some more playing time. But uh, that's just something you got to start recruiting. Uh, you know, pass rushes, everyone wants pass rushers. Everyone wants defensive linemen. There aren't nearly enough of them in the world. There's a great – Steve Logan, the old East Carolina coach, made a comment one time about he dies and goes to heaven. He's going to ask, good Lord, why he didn't make more defensive linemen. And then the offense was, you know, again, you're, you're going against a team that's incredibly talented and well-coached defensively, but there was some plays. You know, I think we ran the ball. Jordan Mason was a grown man, broke a bunch of tackles, lowered his head, ran the ball well, averaged five yards of carry, you know, really made some plays. The, the problem is we just shot ourselves in the foot. You had two short field turnovers. Yeah, that you know, you had The interceptions – the second interception was he took too long to get it to the guy. And, again, it was another tip ball. And the one at the goal line was just just awful, just ugly. I think it was a play call in there. But there's a lot that I saw that was good. You know, a lot of guys made some plays. And it's stuff that we can clean up. You know, you can teach guys, hey, here's what you got to block. You know, it was the first game. It was the first game in this scheme. So as the guys play and get better, I think they're going to learn. The quarterbacks just – they struggle throwing the ball – they struggled staying in the pocket. You go back and watch, and a lot of them, the moment they sniffed pressure, they were gone. So you get one read in, and they're gone, and you're not really sitting and playing in the offense. Yeah, there was no patience, really. They, yeah. they, Or, I guess, comfort? I don't know which would be the better term here. Because they, they couldn't let the play develop because they felt they were constantly under pressure. And yeah. I, I think that's... That also is kind of a testament to the old style of the offense. Not really that you feel like you're under pressure all the time, but you feel like you have to make a decision at the moment. You can't be patient. or But uh, that kind of bit them in the ass is what it seemed like. Uh, yeah. the, let's say the positives I saw in the passing game, and you, know, you said the article I wrote, we ran mesh, which is probably my favorite route combination in all of football. It's two shallow crossers, and it's it's a great high-low concept. And it's a huge integral part of, of Mike Leach and the Air Raid, and it's become a big, very common route. And then we ran the wheel behind it, which is a very, again, super – there's a, an SB Nation writer that says the law is any time that you throw the wheel, he's going to be open, which is not completely true, but very often true. And then I love the touchdown because, A, it was – a Marion Brown against Clemson's starting safety, Kevon Wallace, who's played a lot of games for Clemson as a senior and is a very talented player, and he just flat ran by him. He had a little stutter move, but just absolutely flat ran by the guy for the touchdown. And Graham put it where he needed to put it. So, I mean, that was a fun, you know, the game was well out of hand, but that was definitely something that we can look at and use as a building block going now, forward. Talking about what we'd kind of discussed earlier, do you think that – how do you think the performance in week one is going to change who starts at quarterback? Was this kind of like a trial run situation where we're gauging each player's performance? Or do you think that Oliver really has won the job and the rest of them were just in there to kind of break away, uh, you know, prevent him from getting injured? You know, the interesting part to me was that Lucas Johnson only played three snaps. And Johnson was the guy that many people, myself included, expected to be the starter. And so to see him only play three snaps. Now, looking back, if you watch him, that kid is scared to death he didn't, in those three snaps. He didn't look well, – well, what's worried me was he wasn't making good decisions, probably because he was terrified. And when he was forced to run – he looked a lot worse than all the other candidates, to be honest. He looked slow. He looked bulky. He looked very confused out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the competition's ongoing. I think it'll take, you know, like we said with Clemson, they're so good and so talented and so well coached defensively that there's not much you can take away from it here. You know, everyone's pointing to, oh, you know, Graham was four of seven, which is better. And he threw the touchdown pass and, you know, he puts a little more oomph on the ball. And I'm like, well, 
yeah, but the game was already out of hand. So Clemson's calling the game differently. They're playing the game a little differently. I think it's an ongoing competition. I think this USF game will help as well as the Citadel the week after. The Citadel, especially because they're not they're an FCS program. So it's one where you should be able to get the guys some easy throws, get them in some rhythm, get some stuff moving. So I think that'll kind of – and then we've got, I believe, a bye week between Citadel and Temple. I mean – I think. Yeah, I think. And so that, that bye week may be, you know, when they finally kind of sit down and go, all right, you know, we're – Oliver's a starter, Graham's a starter. Because the problem is, is when you don't have a defined starter, you split reps in practice, and a lot of guys – learn through repetition and so if the guys aren't getting as many normal reps as a starter would get that can come back to bite you a little bit yeah it'll be interesting to see this is definitely one of those where i mean the correct decision at quarterback could really change the way our season plays out um i it's kind of a shame that we have to immediately go into usf because i think that after looking I know that there's a lot of trash talk coming our way because we got blown out by Clemson, but after looking at our performance week one and looking at how USF performed, I'm starting to think like this is a match we could win. Uh, pretty oh, absolutely. And it just sucks that you've kind of got to make this huge decision right now on the fly, whereas you couldn't have one more week with an FCS opponent or a bye week to try and figure it all out. Uh, yeah. But it'll be interesting to see, that's for sure. Um, well, do you got anything more to add before we move on to the Fish Smithson Award? Um, thick punter had a good night, averaged over forty-three yards a kick. He got two, he got quite a few, got quite a few kicks in too. Yeah, yeah you know, hopefully he um, he's good. <laughs> All right. Well, with that in mind, let's move on. Uh, Fish Smithson Award. So I'll go ahead and get mine out of the way. Fave Fave, uh, he went up against New Mexico State with the Washington Washington State went up against New Mexico State this last week, and he put up one sack and two solo tackles. So obviously could have put up a lot more stats, but I'm pretty pleased with his performance uh, coming out coming out the gate. And unfortunately, my other candidate, uh, Cedric Laka 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 Alaka. Gosh, that's going to be bugging me all week. Uh, had a kind of a rough start. He didn't put up any stats, no tackles, no sacks, no assisted tackles last week. So he'll have to improve coming in this week with San Diego State going up against UCLA. But uh, for the moment, that's where my stats are at. Andrew, who's your Fishmissing candidate and how did they perform? So Auburn won. So it's always good when you win to – you know, credit the offensive line. My boys, Broderius Ham and Prince. Oh, what's you know? It's bad that I forgot it. <laughs> you know, it was great to see. You know, Winogo, those two guys. You know, play well. They ran the ball well. Although it looks like my boy Broderius Ham didn't start. Oh no. What happened? Uh, we got, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to check the injury report. I'll have to let you know about my man. That's not good. But Auburn did run the ball uh, 206 yards of 43 carries in the touchdown, 4.8 yards per Jatarvia Whitlow, really kind of the, the lead back with 24 carries for 110 yards, as well as freshman quarterback Bo Nix, seven carries for 42 yards. So, yeah, you know, Auburn, Auburn ran the ball relatively well. Would have liked it a little bit more. And like I said, I got an investigation going on to figure out what happened to my boy. I think how that man doesn't start, I don't know. He ate too much ham. He was on the sideline. God, the the, the pregame meal got another one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think we'll learn more about their performance as they go up against more SEC opponents. Because yeah. I don't think Oregon's really known for their defensive uh, stoutness. But we'll well, s- plus, plus this week against Tulane, I'm not sure if it's one you'll really learn too much. But, hey, I mean, I am I would be pretty pleased so far if uh, this is what I'm getting out of my O-line as Auburn. So they, yeah. they're, they're off to a good start for sure. Um, this might be an up year for Auburn 
which worries me as a Bama fan. We will we'll find out how that all plays out. It's the perfect setup because it's the year that like everyone expects Auburn to be bad, and you expect Gus Malzahn to get fired, which means they're going to play for a national title. Yeah, of course, because <laughs> that's always <laughs> what happens. That's, uh, that's how Auburn works. Hey, as long as they shut down Georgia along the way, I'm cool with it. Oh, I'm in. In Jordan Hare. All right. Well, now that we've gotten past all of our week one discussion, let's move on to week two. So we've got our games picks for next week. Andrew, you and I both went eight and two on the picks last week. I missed on Miami and UNC. I should have picked UNC and uh, should have picked Florida. You missed on – I know Miami was one of them, and you missed on Oregon. That's right. Uh, The Ducks screwed me again. Hate it when that happens. Uh, They don't don't do well out of their – outside of Oregon. I don't know what the deal is. I think there's just not enough ponds in Arlington, Texas. You know, Ducks are used to water. That makes sense. But so we've got – we're both sitting at the 80 percentile leading the way. This week, we've got a few different matchups. We're going to start off, though, uh, with Stanford and USC. So Stanford coming off of a tough, very confusing and uncomfortable game against Northwestern where they lost their quarterback. And USC almost uh, blowing a big lead against Fresno State uh, last week. Um, It was... uh, I think both of these programs are probably not very happy with where they're sitting right now. Uh, So this is a huge rivalry game coming into week two that uh, both programs stand to lose a lot in the matchup. I'm honestly not sure where I stand on this one, so I'm going to let you pick first, Andrew. You tell me who's going to walk away from this matchup. So we do know that JT Daniels is out. The quarterback for USC, he's got a torn ACL meniscus, so he's he's done for the year. So we are going to get the backup quarterback for USC in this game. KJ Costello for Stanford, on the other hand, left the Northwestern game with a head injury, so we're not sure if he's going to play or not. So this game gets even wonderfully more confusing because no one knows anything about the quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, if it's the backups, it's Stanford's Davis Mills who is from Georgia. I believe he played at Greater Atlanta Christian. And Kadon Slovis, fresh, true freshman at USC. So it'll be young quarterbacks, which I expect you'll see very simplified offenses. And if that's what happens, I think I'm going to go with the Cardinal because I think their defense is better. And I think that that's what will help them carry the game against an inexperienced quarterback. And I think it'll be low scoring. They haven't set the the over-under yet, but I can't imagine it's going to be too high. I will go the opposite direction just for parity's sake. I disagree. I disagree. I'm going to take USC. We're so going to get sued by Solid Verbal for that. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know. He walked me into it, officer. (laughs) Uh, We're We're not popular enough to get sued for that. Yeah. Well, we'll... You never know. We'll find out. Uh, we've got all of like 20 listeners a week, so. Hey. Uh, Are we still big in Sweden? Yes, actually. We're down to three or four listeners a week there, but they're loyal followers. Ah, shit, we need to talk about more smoked fish and winter sports. Yeah, so away from winter sports, I think USC will have this matchup. It's going to be a close, tight knit matchup, but they showed me enough outside of the quarterback play last week from what they were able to do against Fresno State that I think they've got a chance of really performing well. Uh, we'll time will tell, but I'm going to pick USC just to be a dissenter. Um, next up, kind of a more lopsided matchup I think most would consider, Marshall at Boise State. Uh, Marshall going to the blue field uh, at, in Boise. They've kind of come out the gate strong looking well and obviously we talked about what Boise did earlier this podcast against Florida State Um, Boise's not to be underestimated but I think for most people who haven't really given a close eye at the Marshall team 
this could be a very tough matchup for Boise, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Andrew, who do you got in this one? This is a pretty even-looking. That's a 12-point spread currently uh, in favor of Boise State. Uh, you know, Marshall scored 56 points last week, and only they played anybody of, of importance. You know, they played VMI. Uh, I think Boise State's going to win this one. Uh, I really liked the fight and, and what they showed away from home against Florida State, and I think Hank Bachmeyer is a really good quarterback, and I think that's really going to be able what's going to carry them. You know, the running backs are good. And I think that they'll just, again, I think it's a team that, oh, wow, they helped Florida State to under 100 yards rushing. Yeah, I definitely think that Boise State's going to win this game. Yeah, I also think it's going to be Boise State. It's just hard to beat them on their home turf. And uh, as much as I like the underdog, I think Boise State's got better is better on both sides of the ball in general than Marshall. So I think over time, Boise State will wear them down and will eventually walk away with the win. Um, next up, Syracuse, who struggled out of the gate last week against uh, Liberty on the road, goes on the road again to face a Maryland team who has been known to pull some surprising matchups in the early weeks of the season. So, Andrew, uh, uh, will Hugh Freeze be back on the sideline this week? Hugh Freeze is the coach at Liberty. My, my bad. Ugh. What, what am I talking about? Well, um, well, wow. you know, this is so. I'm looking at this game, and the biggest thing that stuck out to me against from the the Syracuse Liberty game is that Tommy DeVito really struggled, and he was the guy we were talking about that had the big shoes. You know, had to come in and fill Eric Dungy's big shoes, and you know, he threw two interceptions. They only threw for 176 yards, which is incredibly low for a Dino Babers coach. Syracuse. And I'm not really, you know, we don't really know much about Liberty's defense. If they're any good, what, you know, anything about them. So that's kind of a question that I think you have to ask. As well as, you can't really say anything about the Howard game for, for Maryland. It's one of those games where they were so incredibly better than the team that they were playing that you can't really pull anything away from it. Yeah, they put up, you know, 623 yards of total offense and held Howard to 68 yards on defense. And it's just such an overmatched game that I don't, I don't really know. You know, I I want to pick Syracuse because I think that they're going to get their stuff squared away, and I think Dino Babers is a great, great coach. And Maryland really hasn't been tested in any way, so I think that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to go with the Orange because I think they're going to get their offense figured. I think they're really going to kind of surprise this Maryland defense. I too am picking Syracuse. I just think they're the better team overall, and I do think that. Despite what people say, Liberty is a very solid team and is turning out, is developing slowly to be one of the stronger independent teams. I think uh, Syracuse had a tough matchup. I think they will come into this matchup more ready and will walk away with the win. All right, the fun one. (laughs) San Diego State going on the road to UCLA. So UCLA is obviously struggling to find reasons to not fire Chip Kelly and San Diego State, on the other hand, kind of walked away from their week one matchup. Uh, I think if you were a San Diego State fan, I think the word would probably be uh, dejected. I mean, you can't really you can't be disappointed with the law win, but you kind of wonder how the heck you walked away with only six points. It was a very strange matchup. So San Diego State's really kind of g- going to be looking to show prove themselves against UCLA, and UCLA is going to be looking for a reason to keep their coach around at this rate. Andrew, who do you got in this matchup between San Diego State and UCLA? So UCLA is a seven and a half point favorite per FPI. They've got a ninety point three percent chance of winning this game. <sighs> UCLA was bad against Cincinnati. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 8 of 26 for 156 yards. That's that's awful. But then and San Diego State won 6 to nothing against Weaver State. <laughs> so, you know, UCLA gave up 417 yards against Cincinnati. A Cincinnati offense that I think is pretty good. So, 
Mm. I don't know. Yeah, this is a tough I one. Think I, I think I want to pick San Diego State because I, I, I want some craziness and I want Chip Kelly to get fired too. Just because that, not nothing against Chip Kelly, just coaches getting fired that early I think is always insane. But yeah, you know, I think I think I'm just going to be contrarian, and I think Sandy, I think it'll be again pretty low scoring because I don't think either team's great offensively. And you know, San Diego State for all they did, they did hold Weber State to no points and 154 total yards, 35 on the ground. So I, I think. San Diego State will play defensively, and I think it'll be a pretty low-scoring win for the, the Aztecs. I, I'm going to pick San Diego State. It's going to be kind of a theme this week. I I do think the Mountain West has been underestimated. I mean, we saw what Utah State did last week. And you pointed out, uh, is it Weber or Weber? Weber State, Weber. Weber State is not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. I think They made the, either the final eight or the final four of the FCS playoffs last year. So, I mean, despite the ugly performance, San Diego State was going up against a good team. So was UCLA, but, I mean, hold on. <laughs> Peter. Peter. Um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think San Diego State is just going to eventually find a way to win this one. UCLA has just looked... They don't seem to have any motivation, and they're really struggling out there on the field despite playing some good opponents. Uh, this is not going to be Chip Kelly's year, to say the least. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I'm picking San Diego State. Um, next up, a mediocre BYU team goes on that lost to Utah goes on the road to face a what-the-fuck Tennessee team that lost to Georgia State at home last week. Um, it's anybody's guess. <laughs> Uh, I'm picking BYU. I'll go ahead and get that one off my chest. This is mainly because I don't like Tennessee all that much, so I'm kind of being a BYU homer. Uh, I just I'm so perplexed by whatever happened on the field last week. Um, but Andrew, feel free to prove me wrong. Is Tennessee going to somehow pull up win out of their hat this week? So I'm looking at the numbers. It seems like Tennessee's problem against Georgia State is they couldn't stop the run. They gave up 213 yards on the ground, which BYU was only able to get 92 yards on the ground against a pretty good Utah defense. Utah's a team that I think is very you know, good to very good defensively most years. And so and, – and looking at it, like Guarantano, the Tennessee quarterback, didn't have a bad game, 26 of 40 – for 311 yards, two touchdowns, interception. You know, you need to get that completion percentage up, but that's that's not terrible. You know, they outgained Georgia State, 404 to 352. But, God, you know, I think Tennessee wins this one. Not by much. They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite, so I think it's a close game. But I just – I don't know. I, just, I don't think BYU can run the ball – as well as Georgia State. God, whoever thought you would say that? We're on the ball <laughs> as good as Georgia State did. And I think that Tennessee will definitely come back with you know, a big chip on their shoulder and very much, hey, guys, come on, we're, we're Tennessee. Like you, you have to imagine that, that they do that. Because if they lose, Jeremy Pruitt might get fired week two. I don't know that I'd go that far, but, yeah, it, it would not be a good look for sure. Uh, next up on the list, Texas A&M going on the road against Clemson. Uh, both these teams are coming off of pretty good week one champ wins. Uh, Clemson beat the spread against Georgia Tech. Texas A&M, uh, 44-3, I believe, against Texas State. So doing quite well in their department. Uh, these are two very good teams. Uh, honestly, this would probably be our top matchup if LSU and Texas weren't playing. But uh, <laughs> and M upstaged by the Longhorns once again. <laughs> oh, you're lucky that Artem's not here to hear you say that. <laughs> so Clemson is the, still the top team in the nation, though. Uh, I'm taking Clemson because I really don't see any reason not to. Andrew uh, is. Uh, are you going to surprise the world, shock the world by picking Texas A and M? I don't think so. I think the 17 and a half point spread. Is pretty high. 
like that that really surprised I figured it would be a much closer game. Did see Trevor Lawrence struggle against Georgia Tech. He threw two interceptions, one of which was going into the half, so that doesn't really count as much. But one of the things I did talk about is is Dabo Sweeney and the OCs at halftime. I'm apparently talked about Georgia Tech was able to confute in terms of, of shift coverages and that. So it'll be interesting to see if Lawrence can have a bounce-back game against a defense that's more talented than the Georgia Tech defense he faced last week. I think a lot of it will be what kind of game does Travis Etienne have, who, if you've never watched Clemson, watch Clemson, because Travis Etienne is a grown ass. That dude, to me, you know, 12 carries, 205 yards, three touchdowns against Georgia Tech. And if a running back's going to have a shot at the Heisman Trophy, I think he's the guy to do it, because that dude is incredible. It, it's, he's got some power. He's so fast. You just watch him all of a sudden kick into a gear that you're like, wait a minute, people can move that fast? It sucked for me because every, every time I watched, I was like, oh, yeah, we bottled up the run. We bottled up the run. And then he would break off like a 90-yard touchdown out of nowhere, and you'd just be like, well, okay, just, what are you going to do? He's the kind of guy where if you miss a fit or you miss a read, and even if it's by – you know, a quarter of an inch or a quarter of a second. He's so good that he's he's fucking gone. Sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to swear. But, I mean, that dude is legit. And I, I think Clemson will win it. I just think they've got too many weapons. You know, this is a huge road challenge for a team like A&M, you know, to go into a hostile environment, to go into a place like this. But I, I don't think that Clemson covers the spread. I think it's a surprisingly close game. I would hope so. I'm expecting this to be a good matchup. I'm still picking Clemson, but it should be a close matchup. Yeah, I think Clemson wins, but I think it's I think it's close. Because like we've kind of said, next year is A&M's year. They're still a young team. Time will tell, but it certainly seems that way. Next up on the list, Miami going on the road to UNC. This is a big matchup here in the triangle. It's a lot getting a lot of hype. It's already sold out the stadium. Miami coming off of a week one loss to Florida in a game that both teams were trying their best to lose. And UNC coming off of a great week one matchup against USC where they really proved themselves under Mac Brown. Uh, so this is kind of uh, two teams going in opposite directions. Obviously, Miami's looking to change their path. Uh, this week and kind of prove themselves. I I had a real hard time picking this one. I think it's going to be Miami. I think they have the talent to win this matchup. Uh, but I really don't have a lot guiding me in that decision. I could have been swayed either way, but I think this is kind of a storyline week for Miami where they can really change the change the dynamic and if they don't then that might set the tone for the rest of their season uh but andrew who do you got in this miami at unc matchup like you said sold out night game between the Lions down at keenan stadium yeah this might be the most hyped a unc football team has been or program has been in a couple of years so that'll be really interesting to see what kind of environment they can produce they're they're kind of mirror image teams to be other young quarterbacks they want to try to run the ball you know really kind of rely on that play good defense you know north carolina's got a pretty talented front and we saw the kind of struggles miami had on the offensive line you don't know how much of that they're really going to get cleaned up in one week so if, if north carolina can have some success getting pressure got a pretty good secondary so if they can get some pressure maybe force williams the bad throws you know he showed that he'd hold on to the ball a little too long Against Florida, you know, which led to some of the, you know, Florida having 10 sacks. I, you know, UNC's going to want to establish a game. Miami played the run pretty well last week, two weeks ago. You know, they only gave up 50 yards on the ground to, to Florida. Interesting to see if UNC can establish the run and, you know, let Sam Powell make some, some simple throws. But, you know, two of the throws that he made to beat South Carolina were just beautiful. So... You know, I, I think I'm going to go with the Tar Heels. I think they're going to fall and control the clock enough and be able to put pressure on Miami to win what I think will be a probably somewhat low-scoring, you know, kind of like last week, you know, 20, 24-20, 24-21, something kind of in that realm. I'm kind of expecting a lot of turnovers. I don't know what it is, but I feel like 
uh, there's going to be a lot of turnovers in this matchup, and that'll probably be what decides it. But uh, this should be one of the more low-key exciting matchups of the week uh, for sure. Um, next up on the list, I know the one that Andrew wants to talk about, USF at Georgia Tech. Um, so to save time, I'm just going to say I picked Georgia Tech because I'm a homer. Uh, and I'm going to let Andrew talk because I know you've got a lot to say about this matchup. So go ahead. So neither team looked well week one, you know, tech 52 to 14. They at least scored South Florida 49 to nothing in a loss to Wisconsin, which I thought I read somewhere that South Florida didn't cross the 50 yard line to like late in the third quarter. (laughs) I didn't watch it. I wouldn't know. Didn't watch it. Wouldn't know. know. 26 yards on the ground, 131 yards passing. Defense gave up 435 yards. <sighs> I want to pick Georgia Tech. They're a six-point favorite. This is a revenge game after what happened last year where Georgia Tech had the game won, but they turned the ball over late as well as they gave up two kickoff return touchdowns to South Florida. <sighs> I think I'm just going to pick Georgia Tech. Uh, they're not playing Clemson, so I don't think it'll be as challenging offensively to move the ball. And the defense acquitted itself well, given what it was up against. South Florida doesn't say I have the same kind of cats that Clemson does, so the, the talent and the, the ability to take every touch to the house isn't going to be there. And you hope the Jacks are to get their eyes and some of their fits cleaned up and be able to really you know, make kind of a an early statement win for the Jeff Collins program. You know, I think Tech wins it. It's a six-point spread. I don't know if they cover, but I think Tech will win it. Fair enough. It'll be certainly be one to watch if you're a Tech fan. Uh, maybe. I don't know. You might end up shutting it half halfway. We'll see what I mean, happens. I watched the entirety of the Clemson game, so I figure I can make it through this one. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, it might be more heartbreaking than the Clemson game. At least we knew what was going to happen in that one. All right, personal picks of the week. So I didn't realize we had already we were already in the process of picking the BYU game. So instead, I'm gonna make an audible. I'm taking Ohio over Pittsburgh. I think Ohio was a team that out of the gate came out looking very strong and really proved themselves. And they've got a very dynamic quarterback who I think it'll be very difficult for Pittsburgh to shut down. They are going on the road, so it'll be a tough matchup, but I do think at the end of the day, they will walk out of Heinz Field with a victory over Pittsburgh. So that'll be a fun one to watch out for. Andrew, who do you got as your personal pick? So that's an interesting one you're talking about. Just talk about your game for a second. Uh, Pittsburgh lost another defensive lineman to a season-ending injury in the Virginia game. So they're really going to have some depth issues there. My personal pick is Nebraska at Colorado and this is an old Big 8 rivalry Nebraska and Colorado played every year from 1948 through 2010 now to be fair Nebraska has 49 wins to Colorado 19 wins and Nebraska won 18 straight from 1968 to 1985. So this is very heavy Nebraska, but this this is a big rivalry. Like this is a big rivalry for both programs. They don't like each other. It's interesting to see it back. They played last year in what I think was relatively, you know, a 33-28 win in Lincoln for Colorado. So this one will be at Folsom Field in Boulder. We weren't really impressed by Nebraska week one. We really, a lot of people were on the Nebraska as the West favorite, and they really struggled against South Alabama. The offense never really got going. They had two defensive touchdowns and a special team touchdown that really kind of made the, the difference there. Adrian Martinez didn't look like we wanted him to look. Uh, new, uh, great positive shout-out to Nebraska running back Dietrich Mills. Two touchdowns. Uh, 15 carries, 44 yards. The former Georgia Tech player, you know, had a had a decent day for for Colorado or for Nebraska. I was about to say uh, that's terms of, a familiar name. I was about yeah. to say that's a familiar name, huh? <laughs> you know, Stephen Montez at Colorado had a pretty good game against Colorado State. We didn't really see Lavisca Chenault explode like we expected to, given 
the talent that he is at Colorado. Um, in terms of this game, it's a four-point spread. Nebraska is the road favorite. And so Colorado's got a 51.2% chance to win this game. So it's really a big toss-up. Uh, they as low as $185 at Folsom Field. It's probably a pretty decent crowd, given it's a big old rivalry and you know both teams are coming off wins. And both teams are expected to be pretty decent this year. Colorado with a new head coach. Nebraska with... You know, hometown, home state hero, Scott Frost back, you know, last year's first year. In terms of picking, I think I'm going to go with Nebraska. I think the defense is just too – I think that Colorado, even though they did win big, still gave up 505 yards to Colorado State, 374 of those yards through the air. So I think the Nebraska defense will get stops and put Nebraska in a chance to win this game. Okay. It should be – I'll be another one I'm keeping my eye on. That should be a fun matchup to see. Uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Fox. I mean, I'll be stuck inside during a hurricane anyway, so it's it's worth checking out. I think it, I thought it was I thought it was hooking its way back, like, out to the ocean. It should be over by Saturday, but you never know. Just make sure you buy all the milk, bread, and eggs you can buy, because apparently French toast is what people make when hurricanes hit it's too late they're already out of eggs no oh sorry man no french toast for you i know right it sucks it's life life's hard to be it's hard to be me um but anyway something else that's difficult to be two big time teams going into a neutral site game and knowing that only one of you is going to walk out with the win lsu versus texas a game that i believe you had talked about going to andrew are you still planning on it no, unfortunately, we weren't able to to make it out. Our, our trip to Austin will probably be more either middle of October or early in November. Okay, well, that's a little disappointing. But these are two teams that uh, would like to claim their back. They've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, and it's there's a lot on on the display for bragging rights for both of these teams. I don't, I don't know. This is a tough one for me because it's kind of hard to gauge off of their week one performances exactly where these teams stand. We're going to learn a lot more about their trajectory from this week and possibly find out if they are playoff contenders. So this will definitely be the highlight match of the week. I'm personally taking LSU. Again, I don't really have a lot to go on other than the fact that they played well last week. They're an SEC team. And I do think that overall they've got the talent to kind of win out over a Texas team. Also, I don't think Artem will like me very much if I pick Texas. So I'm going to choose to pick LSU and see how that plays out. Andrew, you care to give us a more in-depth summary of the matchup? I'm looking at the numbers, and the one that really jumps out to me is even though they won 45-14, to 14, Texas gave up 413 yards to Louisiana Tech, 340 yards through the air. Contrast that with LSU beat Georgia Southern 55-3 to and gave up under 100 yards. They gave up 98 yards defensively. I'd say that's pretty good stats for <laughs> LSU. Like, as well as, you know, we saw Joe Burrow. We saw a quote-unquote new-look LSU offense. Burrow 23-27 for 278 and five touchdowns, again, against Georgia Southern. So... I think the LSU defense is going to do and shut down Texas. I think that they're just that talented, as we usually talk about an LSU defense. I think Dave Aranda, again, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. I mean, if he's not one, he's 1A or 1B with a guy like Brett Venables at Clemson. But, yeah, I, I think LSU is going to win this one. The, the talent's there, especially defensively. I like Joe Burrow at quarterback. I think he was pretty decent last year, and he's kind of learned into the position a little bit better. You know, they're going to have to run the ball, I think, a little bit more. They struggled a little bit, run the ball against Georgia Southern. Yeah, I think I think their defense is going to carry, and I think the, the offense will be put in positions to score. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up. I think both of us picking LSU – That'll wrap us up for week two, and we'll see how everything plays out. Right now we're sitting at 80%. Uh, something's got to give. We're... Um, thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. And, Andrew, thank you for being here. 
Uh, I know I know circumstances aren't easy where you're at. Uh, it's all good, man. I just I'm still learning time zones. I know, right? Life's life's difficult. Although the cool part about Central Time Zone is college football for me this week because for some fucking reason Pitt wanted to play at eleven o'clock a.m. Um, I get Pitt, Ohio at 10 a.m. on Saturday. So you'll be eating brunch and watching the Pitt, oh, Ohio I know. I get Cincinnati, Ohio State at 11, Army, Michigan at 11, Syracuse, Maryland at 11, Kennesaw State, Kent State at 11. Kennesaw State's going to walk away with the win in that one. God, I, I hope so. That would be a win for Coach Bowen and, and that program. I would love it. They beat the crap. Out of Point University, fifty-nine to nothing last week. I mean, in a again, Point I I think is like a, a Division two or Division three school. So you know, it was good for them to play kind of an easy game. They're breaking in a new quarterback, so that'll be kind of fascinating. But yeah, that game's on ESPN three. I'll probably try to watch that one if I can. And a lot of fun matchups, like we talked about. You know, I've, I've set, I've got my DVR set to, I record Air Force, Army, and Navy every week, so. That Army-Michigan game. Back and watch them. Uh, do we, we kind of pushed Army-Michigan off the list, because uh, sadly it wasn't as interesting as some of these other matchups, but uh, what do you think about that? Does Army stand a chance, given their performance in week one? They really struggled in week one, which caught me off guard. I guess a Rice team that no one really expects to be very good. So that was what was kind of disconcerting to me is they, they only scored 14 points, but, you know, Rice had a lot, a lot of time. Um, the one thing about Army is they, they slow the game down. So even though it's a 22-point spread, I don't think Michigan cover. I think Michigan wins, but I'm not sure if Michigan covers because 22 points is a lot of points, and Army is a team that, like I said, controls the clock, slows the game down, cuts down the number of possessions. So I, I think Michigan will win it, but I, I think Army will, you know, beat that spread. Time will tell. All righty. Well, I think with that, we're, we're going to go ahead and tune off. Thanks again to our listeners for tuning in, and y'all have a great rest of your week. Good night, everybody.